this church, and it's good to be together today. Now, if you were paying attention to the reading just then, you'll realise that today is a simple, easy, straightforward passage. It's full of lightweight stuff about sexual immorality and idolatry and Satan's so-called deep secrets. Now, there certainly are some unfamiliar words and there are some unfamiliar concepts in this passage, but it's actually highly relevant for us. It's actually incredibly important for us as followers of Jesus. Because this passage is going to show us how we can relate to the world and remain faithful to Jesus. It's going to show us what we should and shouldn't tolerate. Now, tolerance is a bit of a buzzword in our culture, isn't it? We're often and regularly told that we should be tolerant of others. Now, what does that mean exactly? Well, here's how the the Cambridge Dictionary defines tolerance. Tolerance, according to the the dictionary, is a willingness to accept behaviour and beliefs that are different from your own, although you might not agree with or approve of them. Now, this is a, a good thing, isn't it? We should be tolerant of others. It's a necessary thing, especially in a pluralistic society like ours. But the reality is, and the, and the question before us today, is what about in the church? What should we tolerate in the church? What shouldn't we tolerate in the church? Because the reality is tolerance has its limits. If you have kids, you know this is true. You don't tolerate all behaviours in your children. So if you see them using your wall as a canvas for their art, you don't think to yourself, oh, who am I to judge? I don't want to stifle their artistic flair. If you see them playing with power tools, you don't say, oh, knock yourself out. Because it probably will. Tolerance has its limits. And this is true for Christians and for the church as well. Here's how Kevin DeYoung, he's a a Christian minister and author, here's how he puts it. He says, Christians cannot be tolerant of all things because God is not tolerant of all things. We can respect differing opinions and try to understand them but we cannot give our unqualified, unconditional affirmation to every belief and behaviour, because God doesn't. Now, the reason I bring this up is because tolerance was the problem in this church in Thyatira. It was tolerance of false teaching. It was an affirmation of wrong belief. It was an acceptance of what should have been unacceptable. Now, if you haven't been around for the last few weeks, we are in the middle of a sermon series that we've called Dear Church, the seven letters of Revelation 2 to 3. We're looking at these seven letters which Jesus sent to seven ancient churches, which are actually a message for the church today, including us. And today we come to the fourth letter that Jesus wrote, the letter to the church in the city of Thyatira. And Jesus' message to this church is don't be naive. Don't be seduced by false teaching and by 
false teachers. Now, what was going on in Thyatira? What had caused them to go down this path? Well, the city of Thyatira itself, about 70 kilometres southeast of Pergamum, which is the city that we looked at last week, this city wasn't on many people's bucket lists. Not many people had Thyatira as a desired destination to go to. It wasn't a very significant city or impressive city. It wasn't a centre of political or religious power which is ironic because this is actually Jesus' longest letter. He has the most to say to the least important city. It's a little bit like Jesus writing a letter to churches in Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane and Nanango. And he has the most to say to the church in Nanango. It might not make sense to us, but it's a reminder to us that all of God's churches are important to him. Whether they're in Sydney or New York or Nanango or Bray Park. And Jesus has an important message for this church in the city of Thyatira. Because though they weren't an influential city, a significant city, they were a busy city. They were a hard-working city. They were an industrious city. We know from historical records that Thyatira was home to lots of different trades. There were wool workers and leather workers and tanners and potters and bakers and bronze smiths. It was a city that was full of industry and manufacturing. In fact, do you remember the, the lady named Lydia in Acts 16? She's there and she's listening to the Apostle Paul preach and she becomes a believer in Jesus. And we're told about this lady named Lydia that she is from the city of Thyatira. And... She was a dealer in purple cloth. And so she was part of this industry in the city of Thyatira. She might have even been one of the ones to bring the gospel to Thyatira. Because now, about 40 to 50 years after her conversion, there is a, a church in this city of Thyatira. And Jesus has a message for them about what or who they're tolerating. And so we're going to explore Jesus' message to this church in this city under three headings. The first, if you're taking notes, is this. It is the problem of tolerance. The problem of tolerance, verses 18 to 23. Now, Jesus' message to this church isn't all bad. In fact, he has some really good things to say about them. He commends them for five things in verses 19. If you have your Bible, you'll see there that he commends them for their good works, for their love for their faith, for their service, and for their endurance, their perseverance. Now, these are really good things. They're commendable things. And they're not just in the past either. The church in Thyatira is growing in these things. They're growing in their love and in their good works and in their faith. Jesus says there in verse 19, you are now doing more than you did at first. This was a healthy church in many ways. Unlike the church in Ephesus, they're not going backwards, they're going forwards. They're not coasting, they're growing. And Jesus acknowledges this. And this is worth mentioning because Jesus is about to raise some serious issues with this church. He is about to say to them, you've got some real problems. But this doesn't stop him from acknowledging what is good. It doesn't stop him from recognising what is right. Sometimes when we look at other Christians or when we look at other churches, we allow what is wrong to totally blind us to what is right. 
We allow the bad to stop us from seeing any good. Let's cultivate an ability to see the good in others, even when there might be serious issues. This is what Jesus does here. He doesn't allow the bad to stop him from seeing the good. But neither does he allow the good to stop him from acknowledging the bad. This is actually why Jesus introduces himself the way that he does in verse 18. Jesus there introduces himself. He says, these are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now, his eyes are like blazing fire because he sees beneath the surface. He sees what is going on. And his feet are like burnished bronze because he's ready and willing and able to swiftly pursue wrongdoing. And if need be, to crush it under his feet. And this is what Jesus turns to next, the evil, the wrongdoing that is infecting the church in Thyatira. He diagnoses their problem in verse 20. He writes to them, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. The problem in Thyatira was tolerance. And specifically, Jesus says, it was tolerance of that woman Jezebel. So apparently there was a woman in this church community and she was claiming to be a prophet, a messenger from God. But she was actually leading the people away from God. She was leading them into immorality and idolatry. She was like a spiritual cancer. She was dangerous and she needed to be removed. Now it's almost certain that her name was not actually Jezebel. Jezebel, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'll know that she was a character in the Old Testament. Uh, She was a foreign queen who married the king of God's people, King Ahab. But she actually led Ahab and Israel into idolatry and compromise. She introduced worship of Baal and other false gods, and she persecuted and she killed God's prophets. She was a bad lady, and she led many Israelites down a bad path. And this is what the Jezebel in Thyatira is doing. She's leading these Christians down a bad path. She's encouraging them to compromise. Now, how was she doing this? What exactly was she saying to these Christians in Thyatira to lead them astray? Well, we're not told exactly, but we are told enough. Because I've already mentioned the fact that Thyatira was full of different trades. But I didn't mention, and what I did mention earlier, is that these trades also had a trade guild, kind of like an association or a trade union. And if you wanted to work in these trades, you had to be a member of the trade guild. So if you wanted to be a potter, you had to be part of the potter's guild. If you wanted to be a baker, you had to be part of the baker's guild. Now, it doesn't sound like a big deal on the surface, but each of these trade guilds also had a god or a goddess that they worshipped. And they would also have these regular feasts and parties. So, for example, imagine that you belonged to the Potter's Association of Thyatira. One night you're gathered together for a feast and you're sitting around the table, you're ready to participate in this feast. When the host stands up and he says something like this, 
He says, we're glad you could make it. This is a great occasion for the PAT, the Potter's Association of Thyatira. We have quite a feast prepared for you. But before we partake, we want to recognise the great god Apollo, who watches over the potters and makes this dinner possible. Apollo, you can see his statue over there in the corner. We eat to you in your honour. We worship you. Now let's dig in. Now, if you're a Christian in Thyatira, part of the Potters Association, what would you do? Would you participate? Would you leave? To make matters worse, these parties often ended the way that parties tend to do, whether in the first century or in the 21st century, with sexual immorality, with a visit to the brothel or something similar. So what would you do? Would you participate or would you stay home? Now, if you did stay home, if you chose not to participate, that's not a neutral decision. There would be consequences to that. These feasts were a normal part of life in that culture. And to remove yourself from them, it would leave you on the outer. It would make it very hard for you to earn a living. What should the Christian do? It's a tough situation. And Jezebel seemed to make the choice easier. She came along and she seemed to have the answer. She seemed to say to these Christians, don't worry about those feasts. Don't worry about the idols. They're not real gods after all. It doesn't really matter what you say about them. It doesn't really matter if you eat in honour of them. It's just empty words. God understands. And don't worry about the sex with the prostitutes. It doesn't really mean anything. It's just your body after all. God cares about your soul. He understands. Jezebel justified their participation. And through her false teaching, Jezebel made following Jesus more culturally acceptable and much less costly. According to Jezebel, you could have it all. You could have Jesus and Apollo. You could have God's grace and guilt-free sex. You could have Christ and the world. Now, before we look at what Jesus has to say about this, it's worth asking ourselves, what about us? Where are we tempted to compromise? How are we tempted to make following Jesus more culturally acceptable and less costly? Ben gave us a good list last week when he he talked about the church in Pergamon, which were facing similar issues. He talked about areas in our day where we might be tempted to compromise. Areas like money and possessions. Do we compromise to get more? Do we lie or cheat or manipulate? Or or areas like sexuality? Do we compromise to avoid confrontation? Do Do we just try to go with the cultural flow? What about at school or at work? Do we compromise to get ahead or to be accepted? Like these Christians in Thyatira, we too can be tempted to compromise, to to make our journey of following Jesus more culturally acceptable and much less costly. Now, I'm not saying this is easy, and I know that you have it way harder than I do, because I go to work and I'm surrounded by Christians, wonderful, godly Christians. So I'm not saying this is easy, but I am saying it's the cost of following Jesus. And any time we're tempted to justify or to compromise, 
Anytime we're, te- we're tempted to make excuses for our sin, it's not a big deal, doesn't really matter. God knows my heart, God understands. Anytime we're tempted towards that type of teaching, we're, we're, we're acting more like followers of Jezebel than followers of Jesus. Because Jesus goes on to make it very clear in verses 21 to 23 what he thinks about Jezebel and her false teaching. Jesus effectively says to the church in Thyatira, don't tolerate this woman. Don't listen to her. Don't put up with her. Get rid of her or I will. Now apparently Jesus had given Jezebel the chance to repent, to turn around and to go in the right direction. But we read there in verse 21 that she was unwilling. She refused. And this actually implicitly teaches us an important lesson. Your repentance is a good sign of your relationship with Jesus. If there's no repentance, there might be no relationship. Because those who belong to Jesus repent of sin. When we're confronted with our sinfulness... We repent and we return to Jesus. So let me ask you, how do you respond when you are confronted with your sin? Whether it's through reading God's word or whether it's through God's people, does it make you angry? Do you get defensive? Does it make you feel guilty, like a failure? Or does it humble you? Does it remind you of your weakness and God's goodness? That God would love you enough to confront you with your sin, that God would love you enough to send his son to die for your sin. Repentance is a kind invitation from God to return to him, to come home. And this is the invitation that Jesus made to Jezebel, but she refused. She was unwilling, and so Jesus moves to action. If she will not be repent, if she will not repent, then she will be removed. Jesus says there that he will throw Jezebel on a sickbed, verse 22, a bed of suffering, that he will put her children to death, verse 23, which is not her literal children, but her spiritual children, her loyal followers. Those who were loyal to Jezebel and to her teaching would be stopped and would be removed. Now, this is heavy, isn't it? I mean, Jesus isn't messing around here. This is a serious problem which requires a serious solution. It might be helpful to think about it this way. During the floods early last year, we got some water in our ceiling. Now, not a lot, but enough to cause some mould to start to to grow on the ceiling. And so when it came time to, to deal with it, here's what the builders didn't say. They didn't say, well, we don't want to be too drastic. We don't want to cause too much damage. We're just going to paint over the top of it. Now, would I be happy with that? Of course not. Wouldn't have gotten rid of the mold. It wouldn't have dealt with the problem. They needed to take drastic action to deal with it, which they did. They cut out the infected plaster. They put in new plaster. And then they gave it a fresh coat of paint. It was a serious problem, which required a serious solution. And it's the same for this false teaching in Thyatira. It's the same for this false teacher Jezebel. If Jesus didn't remove her and her followers, her evil would have spread and infected the church. 
And this is why Jesus responds so drastically. It's a serious problem which requires a serious solution. And this is the problem of tolerance. But this is not all that Jesus has to say to this church in Thyatira. He goes on to give them and to show us the solution. Which leads us to our second point, which if you're taking notes, is this. It's the priority of the gospel. See, the problem of tolerance, and now we see the priority of the gospel. See, if the problem in this church is tolerance of false teaching, if the problem is that some have drifted away from the truth, then the solution is to return to the truth. The solution is to prioritize and to hold on to the gospel, the message of God's grace in Jesus. Here's what Jesus says in verses 24 to 25. He says, now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. And so not everyone in Thyatira had been seduced by Jezebel. Not everyone had been taken in by her false teaching. There were some that had remained faithful. And Jesus says to this group of believers, the only thing I ask of you, the only thing I want from you is to hold on to what you have. Now, what did they have? What did they possess? The answer is Christ. They had been brought into God's family through the finished work of Christ on the cross. They belonged to God. They had God's word, they had God's spirit, they had God's gospel, they were co-heirs with God's son. They had everything. And Jesus is saying to them, you don't need anything more. You have all that you need. All you need to do is hold on to what you have. And I'm tempted to use an illustration about a barnacle clinging to a blue whale. If you weren't here in the first week of the series, I talked about how the blue whale is the largest and most majestic animal in the universe, in the world. I mean, they grow up to 30 metres long. They swim 7,000 kilometres every year. They dive 500 metres underwater. Just amazing. But the humble, forgotten barnacle does all of that as well. It also travels 7,000 kilometres and dives 500 metres underwater. How? simply by holding on to the blue whale. And this is what Christ wants from his people. He doesn't need us to be amazing. He doesn't need us to be impressive. He doesn't ask us to swim long distances and to dive to great depths. He asks us to hold on to him, to cling to him and to his gospel. To not allow ourselves to be distracted and seduced by anyone or anything else. I mean, this was the problem in, in, in Thyatira. Notice that this is what Jezebel was doing. She claimed to know Satan's so-called deep secrets. In other words, she was offering some kind of special insight. She, she was claiming to have some kind of advanced teaching. She, she maybe was claiming to know secrets about God. And Jesus says they're actually deep secrets from Satan. 
And his point is obvious. Those who claim to have special insight about God, those who claim to offer advanced teaching about God, they can sound impressive, they can be seductive, but Jesus says, don't listen to them. Now, these are important words for us today because there are still Christian teachers and leaders that that claim to have special insight, that claim to offer advanced teaching. But let me be very, very clear with you. Pastors and preachers and church leaders, even those on TV, they don't have some kind of special connection to God. They don't have some kind of secret knowledge about God. When I stand up here to preach, I'm not saying, here is what God has said to me in private, and aren't you so lucky that I'm sharing it with you? I'm saying, look at what God has said to us in his word. And aren't we so blessed to hear it together? I have no special insight or knowledge. I've done some study to help me read and understand and apply God's word. But the Bible I read is the same Bible you read. The same truth is open and available to us all. And so the solution to false teaching is fairly simple. It's cling to Christ. It's hold on to the gospel, the message about Christ. This is why one of our values as a church, I'm sure you all know this, one of our values is is to be gospel-focused, to keep our focus on the good news about Jesus, to keep the main thing the main thing. And if the Christians in Thyatira will do this, if they will hold on to Christ, if they will keep the gospel the priority, then Jesus makes some amazing promises to them. Which leads us to our third and final point. We've seen the problem of tolerance, we've seen the priority of the gospel, and now we see the promise of Christ. And on verses 26 to 28, Jesus makes two amazing promises. To the one who is victorious, to the one who holds on to Jesus, to the one who does his will to the end, Jesus makes two amazing promises. The first is to give his faithful followers authority over the nations. You see that there in verse 26. In some mysterious, amazing, profound way, Jesus will share his authority with his faithful people. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear this, I think I'm flat out trying to organize my own life. I'm flat out trying to have authority over my kids, let alone have authority over the nations. I mean, what could this possibly mean? Well, it's hard to be certain about the details, but we need to remember that for these Christians in Thyatira, this would have been an encouraging thought. They were a marginalized church in an unimportant city. They were outside of cultural and political power. But Jesus says if they hold on to him, there is a day coming when they would be at the very top, when they would reign and rule alongside Jesus himself. It's a bit like those movies, you know, when there's someone who's an outsider, they're a nobody, they have nothing, but by the end of the movie, they're royalty. Think about Aladdin, the street rat that becomes the sultan, or Lord of the Rings, Aragorn, the ranger who becomes the ruler, the king. The church of Jesus Christ is the ragtag group of rejects that will one day be royalty. Rejects in the eyes of the world, but deeply loved by God. This is the promise that Jesus makes to his faithful people. It's authority over the nations. The second 
is in verse 28. Jesus says that I will give them the morning star. Now, what's this morning star? Well, later in the book of Revelation, in chapter 22, Jesus himself is described as the bright morning star. The point is that Jesus promises to give the greatest gift that he could possibly give to his faithful people himself. There is nothing in this world that is worth more than Jesus. There is no one in this world that is greater than Jesus. And this is why Jesus says to his church in Thyatira, don't be seduced by this false teaching of Jezebel. Don't be led into compromise with the world. It's not worth it. The acceptance of the world is temporary. The rejection of the world is temporary. But the love of God in Jesus Christ is eternal. So don't give up. Don't hold back. Don't give in. Keep trusting him. Hold on to what you have, and he will hold on to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your faithful, never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. Thank you that you have taken hold of us through your son, Jesus. Thank you that you have filled us with your spirit. Lord, help us to keep holding on, to keep trusting you, to keep relying on you until the very end. Lord, help us not to be seduced by the acceptance of the world. Help us not to fear the rejection of the world but help us to see to rest in and to receive your love which will keep us faithful to the very end and we pray this in Jesus name Amen